0: Welcome back, listeners, to If I Only Knew. Today, we're going to be exploring with my co-host extraordinaire, Matt, a fundamental right that we have in Australia that's not necessarily shared around the world, and that is the right to vote.
1: Matt, how are you? I'm doing well, Fred. I always enjoy a little political topic for us.
0: Now, Matt, I'm going to Nostradamus this, Matt. Write it down. Yeah. We are going to have a federal election this year. There, I've
1: said it. <laughs> That's a
0: hell of a prophecy, Fred. <laughs> I've said it. And when you think about elections, because New South Wales, the state in Australia that I live in, has by-elections um, this weekend. And oh, a right. by-election, yep, a by-election is caused by a member of parliament leaving. Now, how's this, Matt? We've got a former premier's seat coming up for a by-election this weekend. Our former deputy premier and member of the national leader of the national parties in New South Wales seat coming up for a by election. And just to be bipartisan, we have the former leader of the Labour opposition seat coming up for a by election this weekend and one more. And it's interesting because with those four seats in the balance, the current government in New South Wales could be out of power by Monday. Oh, wow. And federally, we have an election this year, and it's very clear that there are undercurrents um, of discontent in the current uh, political party that is in control, which is the Liberal Party. So my question to you is not about the politics of a two-party system and preferential voting and those things. (laughs) It's just the power of the vote. So, Matt, tell me, as a millennial, In a system where voting voting is compulsory, does the vote still matter?
1: Oh, Look, this is an important question to me, Fred, because I like my politics and I think it's really important that we have a voice and voting is, to my mind, one of the greatest privileges that we have, in part, not because of the vote itself, but because of what it represents, the ability to voice your discontent in a public forum that actually has a degree of power to change who is in government. That's a luxury most people don't have in the world. But, of course, that feeling is battled by this sense that the younger generations are merely apathetic about politics, isn't it, Fred? That seems to be the uh the social narrative that young people don't want to vote or they, they don't care about what's going on around them or whatever. And and to a degree I suspect there's probably some truth to that. You know, there are a lot of young people who aren't particularly interested in politics, who don't think it affects their lives right now, or uh simply too busy doing other things, to pay too much attention to politics. And I think that if you if you actually engage with Most young people in the context that they're familiar with and that they're comfortable with when it comes to politics, you know, issues that really relate to young people, be it about the way the internet is used or about the role of, like, university or TAFEs and um, access to jobs for young people, that kind of thing. If you have a conversation with young people about those things, they really do care. I think it's just that a lot of uh, politics can be quite inaccessible for a lot of young people. So I think voting is really important. I think voting matters to young people. I think compulsory voting is a real luxury in Australia. To my mind, compulsory voting is an effective way to manage extremism, because it means that everyone has to say something. And so, you know, you're a bit less likely to just get big groundswells of movements that um, happen to get more people to the polls one year and change an election. So there's a lot of value to be had in that. One problem, though, is that it means people end up just voting for whatever their parents voted for, especially young people who don't know what to vote for. And so I, I definitely think there's there's that kind of give and take in the compulsory voting system. Um, but I think that, you know, I don't hear too many people my age complain about it. You know, it can be a bit frustrating sometimes, but they make it so easy. I reckon it's a, it's a pretty reasonable and pretty, uh, pretty effective system we've got set up here.
0: What do you think about young people's scepticism about vote? So I'll give a specific example. You grow up in, say, a safe, northern Sydney, conservative, liberal stronghold. Right, yep. You're 18, you're concerned that the member uh, in your area doesn't care about the environment, doesn't care about LGBTQI plus rights. Mm -hmm. Uh, You're watching the news and hearing them trying to put in these draconian laws under quote unquote religious freedoms Mm -hmm. and you think but what's the point because even if i vote another
1: way the bad guys are still going to win what do you say to that skeptical kid man oh i totally get it i live in a very safe seat my vote has no weight whatsoever where i stand but I think that there's there's two points. That one is that if enough people actually do change their minds, things do change. Last election had some of the biggest swings away from safe seats that we've ever seen. That's important. That makes a big difference. So so you know if enough people actually make a vote that's a bit different, I think it's it does have an impact. Apart from anything else, safe seats have a um, average vote that they're at. If you like, you know maybe you average get seventy percent toward one party. If that changes to sixty percent that party's going to take notice because they've just lost 10% of their yep. core constituents. You know That's a big deal. So I do think that these things matter, even in safe seats, because people pay attention to the numbers because that's the politician's job. The other side... Is that the way our voting system works, although sometimes complex, allows you the luxury to put a few different uh, opinions out there on your ballot. Um, And I love this personally. I absolutely love that we have preferential voting. It's a little bit more complicated than some of the more simpler systems in other countries. But it's really important because it means that votes for independent and smaller parties don't get wasted. If you have an independent or, or someone that's just got a different idea in your area that you could vote for and who you like, just go for it, because unlike in America, where if you vote for them and they don't get in, in many ways it feels like a wasted vote, if they don't get in, they're at the bottom of the barrel of candidates, your vote then gets recycled to your second preference, and then it goes to your third preference, your fourth preference. So ultimately, if you've got like some competing uh, left-wing progressive parties, if you like, and you prefer the uh, the independent, but you want Labour over Liberal, let's say, um, yep. hypothetically, there's still probably value in putting the independent first and... The major party second, because most of the time, and obviously I'm I'm not a uh, a member of the you know Australian Electoral Committee, but yep. uh, most of the time your uh, vote will get funneled toward. The, the largest party in the end anyway. And so even if it feels like it's a safe seat, it's not going to matter or whatever, um, the way our voting system works is you can still kind of throw your hat in the ring for some independents that are doing amazing work because independents are really important to our democracy. The two-party system sometimes has a stranglehold on things. I encourage you look at the independents in your areas. Yep. would be my proposal to people, young people especially, who live in safe seats, feel a bit unsure about what they can do with their votes. Your vote, even if it doesn't change who sits on the seat of power, sends a strong signal to people in the area. Um, And I think that that's important. That's a really,
0: really powerful message. There is no such thing as a wasted vote in a system where they are obsessed with numbers and percentages and fractions of percentages are important to these guys to the extent that for a lot of them, they spend millions and millions of dollars trying to influence a fraction of a fraction of a percent. What's interesting for me is this idea of researching before you go into the booth, Matt, and it's hard work. Mm, yeah. um, there are tricks and tactics that political parties use to capture votes. For example, there are parties with similar names or parties that speak to a name that don't necessarily speak to their um Platform of governance. That's There's right. a horrific party that I have a problem with called the Shooters, Fishers, Farmers Party. Now, that entire party was about uh, undoing gun uh, safety legislation that we have in this country. They then threw the fishing party in with a merge who said you should be allowed to fish as you want, which sounds really reasonable and quite nice, I guess, really. Go for a bit of a <laughs> recreational fish, you know? with your AK-47, because you know what, why not shoot a dolphin while you're there? And do you know why they added the farmer's bit, Matt? Why? Because everybody wants to get behind a farmer, yeah, yeah, right? So their platform for country Australia is lacking. It's got bugger all, except you can have the guns back that you're probably entitled to have anyway because your primary industry And we'll also give those guns to people in the inner city because, you know what, we should have that liberty. Then you've got parties like Liberal Democrats, Matt, Mm -hmm. who often get a lot of votes because people confuse them with the Liberal National Party. Yeah, yeah. So you and I both know, because we're a little bit engaged in this stuff, that there are some dirty tricks, but if you're a first-time voter, which is something that you are a little bit closer to than me, Mm -hmm. how do you do your research to know who you should be voting for in terms of your interests,
1: and how do you do it without relying on some chucklehead or mum and dad? Mm. Oh, that's a great question because I really struggled with it. And, you know, I like to think I'm reasonably engaged in this space. And, and even my first election uh, three years ago, I felt like I was completely underprepared and I just had no idea what I was doing. Firstly, uh, I, I fully take your point on the Shooters, Fishers and Farmers Party, but I'm a big fan of independents that aren't a part of the... Uh, Main uh, two political parties when they were actually in government they had some things go their way because of their independence that uh, I value so I'm a supporter of independence beyond that how should you choose to vote given what I've just said vote independence no maybe look for online resources is what I did because there are some great online publications like maybe from the ABC but you know more generally more independent than that whatever it might be um, that curate and collect the policies of different political parties you know they compare them they say issue climate change stance make changes make no changes that kind of thing um, I can't bring any to mind right now unfortunately but especially as the election rolls around these databases are really effective and simple ways to uh, get a sense of what the parties, different parties are going to vote on the thing that I found when I was looking at those Fred is that they reveal that no party does exactly what I want it to do which is very yep. frustrating because I was like, oh, you know, I'm generally a progressive individual, but the parties that had ticks in climate change didn't have ticks in social issues that I was worried about, didn't have ticks in economic policy that I wanted, all that kind of thing. And so I realized very quickly that I'd be stuck with a, with voting for a party that I didn't fully support. And that was a difficult thing for me to grapple with as a first time voter. You know, Um I want to believe that I will be actually represented in a way that I really like, but... In reality, that can be a very difficult thing to realize in a democratic system. And so I ended up being a bit more comfortable with this idea that, well, I'm going to be imperfectly represented. Given my safe seat, I probably won't be represented very much at all, but that's a different point. But, you know, political parties will imperfectly represent me. And as long as they're generally in line with the issues I care most about, then that's where i want my votes to go and i think that uh you know being able to see all that information aggregated through some external websites as long as you trust them generally it's not too uh too dubious i don't think and then to say what are the most important issues to me who supports most of those issues and then from there that was how i made my decisions fantastic can i
0: ask matt it's a bit contentious Mm-hmm. Did your parents ask
1: you or tell you who to vote for? Oh, great question. Um, Not that I can remember. I'm sure if I asked, they would have provided me with some ideas. Um, No, no, that didn't end up happening. I think we had a conversation afterwards just in general, maybe about it. I can't remember if it was specifically what have you done, but it was like, oh, that was an interesting ballot to vote on. Uh, This time, I wonder what the results are going to be or whatever. But there's definitely a sense, I think, from my parents, quite a conscious sense that they don't want to influence my vote of red. So having these conversations with them is always quite interesting because I can kind of see the eggshells that they try to step on, and I find that to be uh, rather entertaining as the child in that situation. (laughs) I have the opposite uh, scenario where I have to ring
0: a certain voting age child that I have to (laughs) A... Remind them that they must vote because otherwise they get a fine, which invariably I end up having to sort out. (laughs) And B, begging them to cast a valid
1: vote
0: because drawing a picture on, in Australia, drawing a picture on the ballot sheet, or writing a, a slur mm-hmm. actually invalidates the vote. And that's the one bit, like, I do not care if you believe in voting for the equal and opposite response to me as your parent, but for God's sake, don't waste the vote. Yeah. yeah. And I am sure that that person has uh, cast very valid votes but always tells me they put a blank ballot into the ballot box, just, just to get my blood pressure pumping. Perfect. And and look, I think at the end of the day, the reason the vote is so important to me is because all around the world and throughout human history, we've seen what happens when the vote or the, the integrity of a vote is removed from the populace. Mm-hmm. Um, and I choose to believe that even though it's mandatory here, which I personally think is a much better system than voluntary voting, that there is no vote that is wasted i will tell you and i won't tell you where it is but i was in a very very safe seat that flicked in the last election to an independent mm. and as a result of that we've seen nothing done in the electorate because that independent has no power one <laughs> the other. and in fact both sides of politics really dislike them so a great talking head that says all the right things with no skill and ability or currency to push things no. forward. So I've learnt that about independence because everybody got on the independent bandwagon, Matt. It was a real shift.
1: Fair enough, fair enough.
0: And now they're all saying, but we can't do anything. Matt, one last question for you. Mm-hmm. Post vote, are you getting a cake store Lamington or are you going the sausage sizzle with a bit of barbecue
1: sauce? I'm definitely a sausage man after all.
0: Oh, that. oh, yeah. Matt. I wouldn't have picked it. I wouldn't have picked it. Look, I, I, I'm I, going to say in this matter, Matt,
1: mm-hmm. and you might
0: be shocked by this, yeah, but it's the only time I'm bipartisan. I okay, go the cake store and the sausage.
1: Oh, I am shocked. Can't believe it, Fred. Oh. You got it. You got it. You know,
0: it's, <laughs> otherwise society falls apart if we can't come together over a lamington and a soso sandwich mm. at, at voting day. I will say this, now that I'm uh, recently discovered as gluten intolerant, it may just be the oh, sausage no. and not the bread. But, Matt, this is a great conversation. And for our younger listeners, and I know that we have a few out there, If I had been 18 and voting for the first time, I would want to have heard what Matt said about his experience because I learned a lot about it. My first experience of voting was being told who I should vote for Mm. because of a family circumstance as small business owners. And, you know, I think the most powerful thing Matt has said today is that you've got to be okay with being imperfectly represented. Yeah. Because as I get older, those are the compromises that I see more and more of. We're not going to talk about who we think should be in government. We're not going to talk about who we think is going to win. Because ultimately, I think that from my experience of the Australian people and our populace when it comes to voting, we don't get it wrong. So whoever is there on the day and crosses the podium is who the Australian people believe should be the voice to listen to um and when they're not and they go sideways guess what they get voted out the next time right it's a pretty mm-hmm. good system huh matt mm-hmm, absolutely no lifelong dictators here nobody written into the constitution as venerable elder and li- <laughs> lifetime emperor so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's pretty good matt thank you for your insights into the political voting system my friend i've, I've learnt a lot on that one
1: yeah, no problem Fred. it was more engaging than i expected it to be even
0: Matt, I'm just going to say this to end the podcast. When your time there is to represent the Australian people, you've got my vote, young man.
1: <laughs> Thank you, Fred. I hope you're still around.
0: Oh, <laughs> and on that note, we'll talk to you next week
1: from If I Only Knew." See you, everyone.
0: Thank you for listening. This podcast is a Better pod Group production. With special thanks to our researcher, Nicola Binks, executive producer, Matt Lanch the providers of our theme song with credits that are in our bio, and of course, you, the listener. It's important to remember that this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Whilst there are therapeutic themes discussed, in no way is the podcast considered treatment, and in the event you're in a psychological emergency, please reach out in whatever way you can through 000 or Lifeline 13 11 14. It's important to remember that the discussion is for entertainment purposes and the opinions voiced by podcast hosts are theirs and theirs alone. Any reference to copyright or copywritten material is of course the copyright of the copyright owner and or relevant corporate entities. Thank you for listening to Bed Pod Group Productions and tune in to some of our other excellent Pod Productions on this network.